You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. knowing that he's got his arms wrapped around you and he's pulling you close to him and saying, it's okay, my daughter. It's okay, my son. I have it under control. This is going to work out for good. Trust in me. Believe in me. He's doing these things. Lord is even work right now in places where you and I might not even think he's at work. What you're in trouble for. He might be at work in that. He might be doing something incredible in that. He's doing things and setting things in order that we might find out later on down the pike. To me, that's comforting. Have you ever encountered a situation that seemed to work itself out? Have you ever made a mistake only for it to be far less of a struggle than you anticipated? In today's message, Pastor Dave wants you to know that God is always working to change your life for the better. Give your burdens to Him and be set free. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of Esther chapter 2 as he continues his message. There's a new queen in town. should make us feel good in our hearts knowing that he cares so much about you. You know, we're not deists. No, deists believe that there is a God, but they believe that he's not involved in our everyday life. That's what a deist is. No, we believe God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God is actively involved in each of our lives and that Jesus died on a cross for every man, humankind, all men, all women, all children. We believe that God is actively involved in our lives by the Holy Spirit, and we have scripture after scripture after scripture to prove it. We believe that, and we respect that. There's nothing in the scriptures that indicate that the girls here consider this anything but an honor. This was a big honor to be called by the king. We've got to remember the culture that we're dealing with. This was a big honor was part of their culture. It was an extreme privilege and it was extreme honor to be called by the king. And in verses 5 and 6, we see God to begin to work in the life of the intended new queen. And in these several verses, we start to meet the players in this fascinating drama. The first person we meet is Mordecai. Verses 5 and 6. In Shushan, the citadel, there was a certain Jew whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jair, the son of Shammai, the son of Kish, a Benjamite. Kish had been carried away from Jerusalem with the captives who had been captured with Jeconiah, king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried away. So Mordecai comes from the tribe of Benjamin. Look at his genealogy. Look at his genealogy, Jair, Shammai, Kish. What famous biblical person was Kish's son? Got it. King Saul. King Saul was a Benjamite. He was from the tribe of Benjamin. And he was, his father was Kish. So you see these great guys here. So Mordecai is from that family. Mordecai is part of the family genealogy of King Saul, who who was king. 
Interestingly, he really shouldn't have been in Shushan at all. Where should he have been? Jerusalem. He should have left, he should have left with, with Ezra. He should have left with all three groups that Ezra took away. He should have left when Nehemiah left. He was not, he should not have stayed in Shushan. He should not have stayed in the Gentile territory. He should have been yearning and wanting to be back in Jerusalem. He wanted to be there. But once again, God's mercy and God's hand of providence was there. Remember, Silas gave the decree for the Jews to return to the homeland. Only a few went. Mordecai was one of those people who grew accustomed and liked living there because it was plush. It was comfortable in Persia. He also had some sort of a political job. He lived and worked in the citadel or the palace. Who else did we study lived in the palace? Nehemiah was the cupbearer. He was the cupbearer to the king. And it even says in the first part of Nehemiah, Shushan, the citadel, the capital. That's where he lived. Now, there's nothing wrong with a political job. If it is in the will of the Lord. I can think of two Old Testament people who had political jobs and were in God's will. Give me one. Daniel. Two. Somebody said it. Joseph. Joseph. Absolutely. They were in political positions. Joseph was second in command in Egypt. Daniel had a big job in Nebuchadnezzar, his court. Mordecai at that time was not in the will of God because he was supposed to be in Jerusalem. God wanted all the Jews to come back to Jerusalem, but we see God's permissive will and his providence now in the life of Mordecai. God is going to use that decision that Mordecai stayed, said, made to stay home, and he's going to use it for his purpose. I love what J. Vernon McGee, my beloved, J. Vernon McGee describes the providence of God like this. It's how God coaches a man on second base. This man, Mordecai, is going to be brought home, although he is out of the will of God, and although he is not looking to God for help. But God will continue to guide his people. And I love that. God will coach you, and God will guide you, and God will coach you home and bring you home to him. His will is that you would come to him. You've already come to him, and he's going to continue to do that. He's going to continue to love on them. In verse 7, we meet Esther. And Mordecai had brought up Hadasha, that is Esther, his uncle's daughter, for she had neither father nor mother. The young woman was lovely and beautiful. When her father and mother died, Mordecai took her in as his own daughter. So Mordecai takes in Esther. When the Babylonian captured Jerusalem, there were three portions of Jews. The first one was nobility and upper class, Daniel. The second portion was the middle class. The most likely Mordecai was among that group. The last deportation was the common folk, the poorest of the land. And it's speculated that Esther's parents may have been slain when Nebuchadnezzar attacked Jerusalem and Judah and killed thousands. Esther, her Jewish name, Hadassah, means myrtle. The Persian name Esther means star. And the thought here is we have a crepe myrtle out here and it's blooming. And the thought is that the blossom looks like a star, kind of looks like a star. She was raised by her cousin Mordecai since the death of her mom and dad. It is speculated that Esther should not have entered this beauty contest and that her cousin Mordecai encouraged her because he wanted a good place in the kingdom. And we'll see that this comes true. But once again, it all becomes the providential hand of God. Everything that's happening here is God's providence. Let's look at 8 and 9 as the beauty contest shapes up. 
And so it was when the king's command and decree was heard, and when many young women were gathered at Shushan, the citadel, under the custody of Haggai, that Esther was taken to the king's palace into the care of Haggai, Haggai, the custodian of the women. Now the young woman pleased him, and she obtained his favor. So he readily gave beauty preparations to her besides her allowance. Then seven choice maidservants were provided from, for her from the king's palace, and he moved her and her maidservants to the best place in the house for the women. So here we go. She's entered into this contest. She's entered into this contest. She's disobeying the Lord. Why is she disobeying the Lord? What happens if she's, cho- well, she does get chosen as queen, but what happens? It's an interracial marriage. God is against that. God is not for these type of marriages. In fact, he told the Jews to go out from them and be separate. Remember the, 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 they made the deal with Nehemiah that they weren't going to enter into interracial marriages and all that things? Well, that was happening in Jerusalem. These guys were in a Gentile city. These guys were in Shushan. Remember, I said that if Esther loses the competition, this was a bold move. If Esther loses the competition, she's locked for a lifetime in the harem of the king. She's one of his concubines. This guy, Haggai, keeper of women, takes a liking to her and provides everything she needs to make her even more comfortable. It's really interesting when you look at it because, again, we mentioned the political people like Daniel and Joseph. They, too, found favor with their captors. Joseph found favor not only with Potiphar, and then when he was thrown in prison, he found favor with the prison guard. And, and Daniel found favor with everybody he came in contact with. So, you know, it's pretty cool that you see this like that, that they found favor with their captors. We begin to see the hand of God in these awful circumstances. Once again, this should give us confidence in the Lord during your difficult circumstances. Are you going through something hard right now? Is something bothering you? Is something trouble you? Maybe you slipped. Maybe you've fallen. Maybe you've done some things that you think and didn't think you should do. Maybe you're just having a bad day. God is with you. He will never leave nor forsake you. This should be comforting. This should be comforting knowing that he's got his arms wrapped around you and he's pulling you close to him and saying, it's okay, my daughter. It's okay, my son. I have it under control. This is going to work out for good. Trust in me. Believe in me. He's doing these things. Lord is even work right now in places where you and I might not even think he's at work. What you're in trouble for. He might be at work in that. He might be doing something incredible in that. He's doing things and setting things in order that we might find out later on down the pike. To me, that's comforting. Mordecai nor Esther reveal their personality. This is interesting. Let's look at 10 and 11. i got to move faster. Esther had not revealed her people or family, for Mordecai had charged her not to reveal it. And every day Mordecai placed paste in front of the court of the women's quarters to learn of Esther's welfare and what was happening to her. Nebuchadnezzar hated Jews. And that hatred poured down into this new realm of Xerxes. There's a huge thing of anti-Semitism. The new new nation of Persia is now in charge of all these captives, but they hate them. They don't like them at all. Because Mordecai knows that Esther's Jewish nationality could cost her her crown. If she reveals who she is, she won't get the crown. It's important to understand that God and being a Jew are so intertwined. God and Jewish people are so intertwined. In reality, to deny the nationality as a Jew 
was to deny God. Very sad thing. You know, Jesus himself said, if you deny me before men, I will deny you before the Father. However, if you acknowledge me before men, I will acknowledge you before the Father. That's a loose paraphrase. Mordecai's events proved that he was out of the will of God. How? When you know you're in the will of God, you're at total rest. He was pacing up and down trying to figure out what was going on. He had no peace. He had no peace. When you're in the will of God, you are at rest. Mordecai can't rest. Every day he paces in front of the court of the women's quarters to learn about Esther's welfare and what was happening to her. In verses 12 to 14, we see that these women here are pampered for 12 months. All right, let's look at this. Each young woman's turn came to go in to King Ahasuerus after she had completed 12 months of preparation according to the regulations for the women, and thus were the days of her preparation apportioned. Six months of oil of myrrh, six months with perfumes and preparation for beautifying women. Thus prepared, each woman went into the king, and she was given whatever she desired to take with her from the woman's headquarters to the king's palace. In the evening she went in, and in the morning she returned to the second house of the women, to the custody of Shazgaz, the king's eunuch, to concubines. She would not go into the king again unless the king delighted in her and called her by name. Twelve months. Twelve months for this girl to get ready. I sit and tap my toes when Beatrice is five minutes late. Twelve months for this girl to get ready. Come on. Twelve months. You guys think your wife takes too long, guys. Get in line here. Holy miracle. Twelve months. How long does it take to put a face on? My gosh. Six months of myrrh, six months of oil, all perfume, all year. These girls, you know, it's like going to glamour shots. Remember the old glamour shots? They go in there and they get all dolled up and they get dressed up and it would look so sharp and they get their picture taken. A year, a year they're spending getting dolled up here. My gosh, these were the best looking girls in the, in the kingdom. It's very interesting though, and I have to do this as an aside. Remember, this is a pagan nation. And a tremendous emphasis was placed upon beauty. Look at the emphasis that the king Ahasuerus placed on his beauty of his wife. A tremendous emphasis was placed on beauty. It's very interesting that the further we get away from the Lord as a nation or as individual, greater emphasis is put on the externals instead of the hidden person in the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious to the sight of God. Look at 1 Peter 3, 4 for that quote. But as we get further and further away as a nation from God, you can see what's taking place in our world. You can see what is considered beautiful and what is considered not. You can see that happening. So they spend 12 months getting this girl ready. In verse 15, it's Esther's turn. Now, when the turn came for Esther, the daughter of Abihail, the uncle of Mordecai, who had taken her as his daughter to go into the king. She didn't request anything, but went what Haggai, the king's eunuch, the custodian of the woman, advised. And Hester obtained favor in the sight of all who saw her. This eunuch knew that she was the most beautiful. He knew, and he knew that she was gorgeous. She, Esther trusted him to make the choices that necessary, and she went before the king. She was a hit. Everybody loved her. She was knockout. Except probably the other young ladies didn't like her because she was so good looking. Trust me, she wasn't going to win Miss Congeniality. That wasn't the award she was looking for. So she goes into the king. 
16 and 17. So Esther was taken to King Ahasuerus into his royal palace in the 10th month, which is the month of Tebeth, in the seventh year of his reign. The king loved Esther more than all the other women, and she obtained grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins. So he set the royal crown upon her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. She appears before the queen, uh, the king, and the search is over. He found his new queen. The contest of the queen took place somewhere in December 479 or January 478 B.C., Esther was made queen. In spite of all the other hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of women, Esther was chosen. Now, if you're looking for a study on love and romance, this is not your book. This is not your book. You need to go to Ruth. You want to read a story, a love story? Go to Ruth. That's a true love story. It says the king loved Esther. Eh, That's, no. King loved the way she looked. He liked that. Remember, he liked the trophy wife. But the Lord needed Esther where she was. She was going to play a huge part in saving her country and national people from extinction. This was important. You would do well to take a look at the book of Ruth if you want to see that. This was an old pagan king married to a young, beautiful woman. He had absolutely no idea of what real love was and what the Lord means by real love. Yet in the midst of all his paganism... We see the hand of God. We see the hand of God, and we will see it when we look back on it, that God was in control all the time. In in verses 18 and 19, there's a new queen in town. New queen in town. Look at it. Then the king made a great feast. This guy loves feasts, doesn't he? Makes another great feast. It's called the Feast of Esther. Why not? For all his officials and servants, and he proclaimed a holiday in the provinces and gave gifts according to the generosity of a king, When the virgins were gathered together a second time, Mordecai sat at the king's gate. Mordecai now has a job of position. He has a job of importance. little nepotism here? I don't know. His his niece is now queen. He wanted a job, and now he gets a job. He's sitting at the gate, which means he's a judge. When you sit at the gate of the city, you are required to be a judge in the king's matter. Esther is the queen. Cousin Mordecai is now a judge. Little nepotism, like I said, politics haven't changed in 2,500 years. Come on, give me a break. I like what James 2 says about this in 2.4. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay more attention, you pay attention to the one wearing fine clothes and say to him, sit here in the good place and say to the poor man, you stand there. Or sit here at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Something to be said about this partiality business. But we all show partiality. We're all human. In verse 20, it says, Now Esther had not revealed her family and her people, just as Mordecai had charged her, for Esther obeyed the command of Mordecai as, she, as when she was brought up by him. Some have thought that the book of Esther carries the idea of concealment too far. This book has been criticized time and time again because it doesn't mention the name of God. Some say that the name of God was left out of Esther because of the use of festivities like surrounding Purim, where people commonly became drunk. One rabbi was quoted by saying this, a man is obligated to drink on Purim until he is unable to distinguish between blessed be Mordecai and cursed be Haman. Some have wondered if in that atmosphere it would be too easy to profane the name of God 
if it were to be read at such a festival. Interesting what Gusick has found here. I love what Gusick wrote in here, and this is my Gusick quote. Others see the name Yahweh, Y-H-W-8, hitting in acoustics based on the initial and final letters of successive words in Esther 120, 5.4, In some manuscripts, the letters in these words were written larger to give them prominence. The name Yahweh is clearly there, according to what Gusick said. Perhaps Esther does not contain the name of God because it was written under Persian rule and distribution in a Persian empire. But more than likely, Esther doesn't have the name of God because it shows that God works behind the scene. God is working in your life right now. He is setting up things that you're going to discover tomorrow, setting up things that you're going to discover later on this week, this month. He's doing things in your life that you can't even imagine. I love it. All of a sudden, there's a problem. Mordecai comes to the rescue. Mordecai is going to come to the rescue. Let's finish out the chapter 21. In those days, while Mordecai sat within the king's gate, now he's at a good spot. He's at the king's gate. Two of the king's eunuchs, Big Than and Teshra, doorkeepers, became furious and sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. So the matter became known to Mordecai, who told Queen Esther, and Esther informed the king in Mordecai's name. And when the inquiry was made into the matter, it was confirmed, and both were hanged on the gallows, and it was written in the book of the Chronicles in the presence of the king. So you can see, two things are happening here. Mordecai has a job now, and he sees something, and he tells Esther, who then takes it to the king. So this information is going to be well known. So you can already see that they have the king's ear. Esther has the king's ear. So God is starting to set things up now and working things together for good, as he always does in all our lives. And he's setting these things up. This assassination was real. It was real. Mordecai's attitude was, I'm a Jewish man in exile under a pagan king, and I don't like it if he's killed. That wasn't his attitude. He was worried about the king. He could have let it go. And the king could have been killed, but he was worried about the king. He had that thing. He, and, and one person I studied said he fulfilled Peter's thought in 1 Peter 2.17 before Peter wrote it, fear God, honor the king. So he was doing what was right. The threat assassination was real. Ahasuerus was eventually murdered by his prime minister who placed Artaxerxes on the throne. And that's where Artaxerxes came from. And remember, I said that Esther comes between Ezra and and Nehemiah, Artaxerxes, has to be on the throne for Nehemiah to get sent to Jerusalem. Both were hanged, literally a tree. They were hung on a tree with looses around their neck. God's timing was good for Mordecai. As I said, this will come into play later when another vicious plot is uncovered, a plot to kill all the Jews in Persia. And God comes to the rescue using Esther now as queen to save the day. It's a great story. As we continue to get into it, we're going to continue to look at the providential hand of God. You are what do you do when God works miracles in your life? I'll tell you what the Jews did when God used Esther to save them from Haman's evil plot. They feasted. Esther 9, 20 through 22 says, And Mordecai recorded these things and sent letters to all the Jews who were in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus, both near and far, 
obliging them to keep the 14th day of the month Adar and also the 15th day of the same year by year as the days on which the Jews got relief from their enemies and as the month that had been turned for them from sorrow into gladness and from mourning into a holiday that they should make them days of feasting and gladness days for sending gifts of food to one another and gifts to the poor how do you celebrate and remember the miracles of God in your life? I hope it's with feasting and celebration it is through remembering God's work that we hold on to faith in the hard times. You've been listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank. Pastor Dave is making his way through the book of Esther, a story of God's miraculous salvation of his people, a story to be celebrated and remembered in the dark times. A Sure Hope is brought to you by Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Do you live in the area? We'd love to see you. Head over to assurehoperadio.com right now to find our location and service times. Once again, that's assurehoperadio.com. We'll be looking for you this weekend. And with that, we've come to the end of our time. Please come back next time as Pastor Dave continues through the book of Esther on Assure Hope. You've rescued us. We're ready now to stand up on our feet. Born again, we now go Set our hope on praise. Sure.